Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. This is Dan Blewett, and we have a great guest this week. Ty Blankmeyer is joining us on the show. He is a current Milwaukee Brewers scout. This is his second year in scouting. And Ty is a St. John's University Red Storm alumni. And one of the interesting things that we'll get into today is that he actually played for his father, who has been the coach at St. John's for over two decades. Ty also played pro baseball. He was drafted by the Reds in the 36th round. And so we'll get into his story, which is unique. He grew up in a clubhouse, you know, being a little kid, following his dad around St. John's baseball. Obviously, that had a tremendous impact on his baseball IQ and his education there. Then he was obviously a good Division I player and then went on to play pro baseball as well and is now in the scouting realm. So stick around. We're going to jump right into the interview with Ty Blankmeyer. Hey, Ty. Thanks for coming on the show. How's everything out there in Jersey? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Trying to stay warm up here, but going are guys, well. Are you guys in the in the polar vortex like we are? Yeah, it's it's rather cold, and I don't think it's going to get much much better here in the next couple of days. So, northeast uh, northeast winters, you know, getting ready for baseball season. Yeah, I always I always tend to talk or to start some of these podcasts off just talking about the weather and the geography, but today is actually a unique day. It's negative. Let me check. Let me let me verify. I think it's negative nineteen outside. Nope, negative twenty one outside right now. Outside my window. So it's like literally death, like four feet to the left of me, if I had to jump out of my window. <laughs> so our mutual acquaintance, Zach Clark, we got connected with you down the scouting trail. So you are currently in your second year at the Brewers, right? Correct. So at this point, your baseball IQ, from what I've heard, is already immense, for, especially for your age. But B, you've been now a college player. You grew up uh, with your dad, who's a... Um, somewhat famous college coach at St. John's, and then you're a pro player, and now you're a scout. So you've kind of been all over. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, to think of the last six years for me of where I've been, and it's like a lot of different perspectives and roles. And, you know, it's it's like so easy to be like, oh, I, you know, not too long ago I was, I was across the fence playing, or not too long ago I was doing this. And, you know, it, it – um, it definitely makes you, you know, thankful and realize how quickly um, time flies and, like, really be able to have to appreciate that kind of stuff because it, it does go by fast. You know, watching some of these college games, watching St. John's play, you're like, damn, I played with these kids as, you know, freshman and sophomore, and now I'm, like, s- scouting them. It's, it's actually uh, it's a unique feeling, to say the least. Yeah, I can imagine. So tell me what it was like because, uh, you know, you hear about some of like, these major leaguers. Like, I remember um, Ken Griffey Jr., like, seeing him, like, with his little little kid in tow, his son, you know, on the field. I think it's a really unique – it's got to be such an interesting experience for you to, glo- to grow up in a clubhouse, right? So um, your dad's been the St. John's head coach for – is this his 25th year coming up? Yeah, I believe so. 25th uh, twenty-fifth year, I want to say. No, 24th. 24th. And he's, I know that he's got, he's two wins away from 800. So, you know, this year he should get it relatively quick unless they start slow. But yeah, yeah. so 25th year, 24th year, sorry. So pretty much your whole life, you know, you were, mm-hmm. I'm sure, puttering around with like your little plastic bat and then your, you know, I guess, <laughs> I guess whatever is after that, I guess probably right to aluminum. But um, what was it like growing up, you know, as part of the St. John's culture from the beginning? And then obviously you went on to play there as a, as a as a player as well yeah I mean it it was it was so cool and I thought I was 
the coolest kid ever being able to go, you know, on weekends to go be a bat boy on St. John's baseball team and go from place to place uh, um, on the weekends with my dad. And, you know, it's, it's all I knew growing up, you know, it's, it was such a special thing for me to be able to be on the field during batting practice, to be causing havoc on the bus, to, you know, really, the most important thing is just to be with your dad growing up. So I think that's why me and my father have a special relationship is, you know, not only were we working on baseball, we were doing this, but, you know, every step of the way and, you know, St. John's on the road and, you know, my, uh, they would take me on a trip and, you know, I, I, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, you know? And like I said, I thought it was the coolest, you know, fourth grader around because I could, go hang out with the St. John's baseball team and, you know, learn different things, good and bad, but learn things from just from being around the game. So the game really raised me and St. John's baseball really raised me in a, in a, in a sort of, sort of way that I, I'm truly thankful for. So it's one of those things where I, you know, when there's kids in the clubhouse that some guys gravitate to them, like some players want to go like teach them everything and be best buddies. Other guys, you know, kind of keep to themselves. Um, you know, were there any guys that maybe have gone on to do big things that, you know, you really formed a connection with when you were a kid? Any former players? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton. I mean, there's, I think the one, we still, I still keep in touch with a lot of them, but the one that sticks out because I was there right as I was coming up and wanting to be a ball player was, uh, you know, Joe Panic. I mean, that's a guy that everybody knows, but the thing about Joe Panic was he was an infielder, I was an infielder, and when he was a freshman, I was a I want I was in a sophomore in high school, I wanna say, or no. So around that age. I was in high school when he was in college, right? And you know, I would always go and just hit with him and be around him and so to fast forward that to go into college and he, I was now in college and now he was already in the big leagues. He would come back after he won the World Series, and I'd be able to hit with him. And we had a good relationship, and it was cool. Like, that's the kind of resource I had from being able to um, go up at St. John's. That that was special. And then there's a lot of guys that, you know, that had, um, you know, that still work in the game. That I think the cool thing about St. John's is a lot of the, the baseball is, tradition is so rich that even if they're not big league baseball players, these guys want to be coaches. These guys want to, you know, help, you know, grow the game. So another guy that I um, um, really grew close to was Scott Brown. He never played at St. John's, but he coached at St. John's for years. And me and him have a good relationship. He, Scott Brown is now the pitching coach at Vanderbilt. So just like, you know, two examples of guys that, you know, have a lot of experience in the game and, you know, they're – you know, like our relationships have, you know, really excelled and grown throughout the years. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I can like in scouting, if I have a question about a kid or a circumstance and I could throw stuff off them and it's, uh, it's, they've been great resources The both of them really have been for me. Yeah. So well, let's go back to Joe a little bit. Cause I'm curious, did you see different qualities? So, you know, I think with big leaguers, they always have something different about them, right? Maybe they're like way more athletic than other people. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a physical talent, but a lot of times it's their it's their demeanor, it's their approach to the game and to life and their process. 
did you because you knew him well before you know he made it to the majors Mm -hmm. did you have like an inkling did you like see different qualities in him um the 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 quality I saw was his consistency like even though I was rather young like his his tool set I wouldn't say like blared out and out at you on the paper per se but I mean he always he always put the bat to the ball he was always in the right place at the right time he was very steady very simple in everything he did which which allowed him to be more consistent so I mean He's the type of guy you're at the game and, you know, like two, three innings go by. And you're like, I mean, he, does, he might not stick out at that level necessarily. But then all of a sudden, like the seventh, eighth inning, you look at the scoreboard, he has two or three hits. And then all, he's made two or three big plays to help your team win the game. The best way to put it is during the course of the game, Joe Panic did something to help the team win. And that's that was his tool. If it, I mean, it's not, you know. I would say it's the hit tool and he could defend, but, but I mean, that's the thing he did that separated him from everybody else. So Joe was a winner. And I think that's a, a quality that you can probably speak to on, on now that you're scouting amateurs on, you know, on an everyday basis. It seems like fewer mm-hmm. kids maybe have that trait. Would you agree or disagree? I would agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's still there. You know, you still see that guy who has it and you really have to appreciate it. But I think it all derives from the landscape of amateur baseball now. And I think what it everybody's playing more, practicing less. We play all year round, so games mean less. It's just it's just simple math. You know, these guys these kids now play probably hundred and seventy games throughout the year, something crazy like that, I'm guesstimating. But the fact is if you're playing that many games as a as a young kid it, the games have to mean less. Like you, you know, it's it's just people are. You got these these baseball tournaments that they're trying to make their money, which I get and get the kids their exposure, which they're doing right by the kids. But they're not. We're not necessarily teaching kids as a community how to win, what it takes to win. You know, we're we're just giving them mass um, exposure and this exposure the the atmosphere that they're exposing themselves in isn't necessarily the best for them to become a to learn how to be that type of joe panic type player per se yeah because that stuff probably doesn't show up on your pg profile or your pbr profile or whatever like they just want to hit the ball hard and get their knocks and like go home you know win or lose like it's whatever yes and that's the thing exactly we're, we're missing I feel, and I'm I'm very young with this the scouting thing, but I feel that's one thing that's missing in this game right now is guys like that. And there are still guys like that. You know, I know them. I could think of them, but it's not as it's not as much because it doesn't mean as much to kids anymore. Yeah, and that's so, upsetting. Yeah, it's one of those things where you wonder if that was just it was only bred and like backyard baseball and sandlot baseball and you know because kids have this competition in them from their buddies like I was just I was writing a story recently uh, about one of my childhood friends who moved away at I think he moved away at 13 and we played like backyard baseball like every day until his dad got a a better job in Tennessee and they and they left but like I didn't want to lose to Kevin 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it didn't matter. It was just me and him. But every day we wanted to outcompete each other. So there were like little things you could do, like whether it was just like focusing up or I don't know. But and then I, I can't imagine like the, you know, you think of the movie The Sandlot, like that kind of thing, like just every day competing with a bunch of kids, like your own game. And uh, it just seems like it's tough to replace that probably now with the way baseball is organized. Yes. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It's th- those days and I can't speak for everyone, but those are few far in between. The days you're talking about with your childhood, trying to beat your friend, like it's not like that anymore. Like, if anything, what they're trying to do is beat the, their friends in a game of Fortnite. Yeah. But that's okay. It's you know, it's it's society and the thing, you know, we have to adapt and and get to learn that and show try to show them what what it is like to to be like the Joe Panic or the Sandlot type mentality. We have to teach them that now. I mean, it's it's uh, or expose them to it in a sense. Yeah. And so I looked, I looked you up, obviously, and uh, and so you're listed, I think, officially at five eight one seventy. Is that your is that your accurate playing weight? I think that was your height. But you're also yeah, going to fit in that same category, right? As a guy who yeah, kind of has to do a lot of intangible things to help his team win. So can you tell me about your about Ty as a player? Sure. Yeah. I mean. Five eight one seventy. I mean, I was more like five eight one sixty one sixty five. I mean, I, I probably threw on those bonus five pounds to make my bio bio look good. <laughs> you got you to, know? got to, yeah. But, for me, I mean, I was not the most talented guy. I didn't have the most raw powers. Like, the thing I thought I did was, I thought I was, I competed better than guys, and I knew the game on a high level, I instinctually knew the game like pretty well, just from being around it, thinking it, thinking it before I went to sleep, thinking of it when I woke up in the morning. Uh, that was the thing I had going for me. So I could be in a game and yeah, I wasn't the most physically gifted, but my mind kind of kept me there. Um, so what one thing I learned about myself is I was, I thought like a coach kind of. So I was, it was my best tool and my worst tool at the same time I could overthink things and I could think ahead of things so it wasn't until I got older like to pro ball where I was really able to be able to control it because my mind went too fast at times if that makes sense as far as my ability you know I was like I said I wasn't the most gifted I could I could defend pretty good but it, it was all I had to be locked in more than everybody else, basically. And um, I just, what I learned is like, I had to be better at what I could control more than anybody else. And I only knew talent was going to take me so far that it, it had, it had to be that way. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that because that, I think those lessons help you out in life. You know, nothing ever really came that easy to me on this. And, but like, I didn't think that. I thought, you know, I just loved baseball. So that's what helped me get to all these different uh, places and doing what I had to do. Like in hindsight, yeah, I was under, I was, I was under talented. I had less tools than everybody else. But when I'm in the heat of it, I didn't really think about it like that. How did that manifest itself when you said, you know, you could overthink things, get too far ahead? Like what did that what did that look like? Was it like a physical thing? Did you feel like you got a little bit too tense, or you would take yourself out of a bat because your 
expecting a pitcher to do a certain thing or you're expecting a certain situation or expecting to be pitched a certain way. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so I think it derives from – so I know we're, we're probably going to touch on this, but playing for my father, right? It was the best thing I ever did in my life, but a lot of times um, you're either – you know, I was a guy that had to compete for playing time. So I now, my mind thought like a coach. I, the way I thought, if I was on the bench in the game, it thought like a coach, right? So mm -hmm. I would think ahead of what I needed to do to play or what did I need to do to help the team. And by doing so, I would get result-oriented. And by getting result-oriented, it's just once you start being result-oriented, it you you just you just lose sight of the game and its roots lose sight of what you can control you start you start going after unattainable goals you're trying to get hits instead of get having good at bats you know you're 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 a little bit i was a little bit hard on myself in this capacity and it was an immaturity thing but it was also like a passion thing because i wanted to do so well at times it was never, well, this guy's going to throw me a slider here, and then next pitch he's going it to, it wasn't necessarily that. It was more just me getting ahead of myself and, like, knowing what I had to do to be where I want to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. I think that's one thing that a lot of young players don't grasp. And when guys start, like, all right, the game's on the line. Like, I know a base hit wins it or an out loses it. They try to get mm -hmm. a base hit, and there's just a fundamental difference, like you said, between I'm just trying to see the pitch and get barreled to the ball. Like that's a completely different task than I want to get a hit, which I was explaining to a you know a 12 year old last night. I'm like, what's the difference between a ball hit hard, you know, because his favorite player is Javi Baez. I'm like, if Javi Baez hits a ball, you know, hard into the hole to the left. Is there a difference between the one that sneaks through between the third baseman and the shortstop or the one that goes right to the shortstop and becomes a double play? Like, <laughs> did he do any better on one than the other? And he's like, no, probably not. I'm like, yeah. Like, that's just how baseball is. So when you get too wrapped up on what can I, you know, can I get a hit here or what you can and can't control, it can just either derail you, like you said, or it can uh, help you to just stay, I think, more relaxed under pressure. And I think with, with you playing for your dad, I'm sure there was a lot more of, you know, just some of those expectations. Because I think, I know I experienced them as a player in a different way later on. But, you know, when you you say, like, I have to be this to, like, earn my keep, to have other guys respect, or to have people not say this about me or that about me. Um, I'm sure mm -hmm. you went through a lot of that, too, right? And that kind of, I'm sure, invades your mind when you're trying to have you mm -hmm. know, a productive kind of clean at bat. Yeah, I mean, that... That's it's funny. I mean, you're you're making me smile. Think about like where I was at one point in my college career is that mindset. And it's a it could be a poisonous mindset at times, because when you're going good with that mindset, you feel, you know, you're a little too like high keel, you know. But if you're going bad, it, it hits it hurts you, you know, like you're like, damn, you know, am I letting my dad down? What are the, these kids don't think I'm good? You know, th those thoughts will come through your mind. So to back all this is like if your mind and what you want to accomplish isn't in the right place and 
you're not focused on the right controllable aspects of the game, the game's going to know. Because then you're doing it, you're losing sight of why you're doing it. And at that time, that little stint when I first started playing for my dad, I lost sight of why I was truly playing the game. I wasn't playing for myself and for the love of the game. I was playing to appease people, try to make my dad happy. And that's that's not really... If you get into something like that, that's not... It's, it's a really tough way to have fun and succeed. And I can imagine that's just a, a unique... And I do want to... Let's, let's chat about that a little bit. So what were some of... Because there's lots of different perspectives and angles about you playing, you know, for your father and mm-hmm. him having a, a storied career there. And in a lot of ways, like being St. John's baseball. So when his son, who grew up there, you know, grew up in the clubhouse, you know, dragging his little bat around the field, you know, when you were suddenly in uniform, how did you handle the, the expectations and the pressure? And, the, and how was your dad? How was he about it? Oh, he was great on it, uh, about it. He didn't, he didn't treat me any differently. Um, he was very stern and um, treated me equally. If anything, during practice, he'd get on me a little bit more, but he, he was awesome with it. Um, when I first got to St. John's, my freshman fall, it was, you know, it was okay, you know, but, you know, but it's fall ball. Like people don't understand fall ball is a way different cry than when the lights turn on in the spring. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you can't even compare the two. It doesn't matter. You, I, in my, there's no replicating fall baseball to what happened in the spring. Point blank. There's nothing. You can't. You know, even with these teams coming in and being able to play each other nowadays, like you get two scrimmages in the spring now from outside company. It, it, it's fall baseball is way different than the spring. So to fast forward to the spring, I wasn't ready for it. I, I started hot, and then once something didn't go my way my freshman year, I was, you know, I, I, I kind of put some pressure on myself. And, you know, I, I wasn't able at 17, 18 years old, it was tough for me to truly handle that. Um, but I learned from it. Um, you know, my, my freshman year was the only losing season my dad has ever had at St. John's. So, you know, it, 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 in perspective at the time, I thought it was, I thought it was tough, but, you know, you look back and you kind of like laugh at it and realize, well, Hey, that's, you know, it's just a game, you know, you, you can't have that type of perspective, but to go forward, you know, it's one of those things that I wish I know what I know now type of thing and, and could do it all over again that'd be great but I wouldn't have learned what I'd know now because yeah. that experience taught me too much to to any if I were able I had other options to go to other schools but if I had explored that I wouldn't have known and my perspective would not as be as clear and as sharp as it is now in a baseball capacity because now I think I can relate to kids a little bit differently now having this perspective on it yeah so were, was there ever any kind of griping from uh, you know, other players or from other outside sources like, oh, he's just, you know, he's just starting because, you know, of the, the name on the back of his jersey or he doesn't deserve to be in the lineup or he's just, you know, <laughs> getting special treatment. Did you have to deal with a lot of that? Um, you know, not particularly. I mean, the one thing I realized to do all that with your teammates, you just try, you just have to try and be the best teammate you can be. And out of all of this, the one thing I learned is that's probably the most controllable aspect of it all is just be the best teammate, whether you're playing or not, because then it all works out itself. Um, And if you're, 
my freshman year, I probably wasn't the best teammate because I was into myself a little bit. If if you're taking stuff like that, you're into yourself a little bit more. So yeah, there. I'm sure there was people who said this or that. I mean, that's 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 the business of all this. People are always gonna talk, but it it's like, what do you want to? focus your energy on that or you want to focus your energy on being better and being a good teammate and that's kind of the biggest thing I learned is how to be a great teammate from that experience because at the end of the day that's what mattered the most yeah yeah and I'm sure you looking about all your vast experiences in, in that clubhouse I'm sure you don't really think as much about like the big hits you had as much as you have like really fun memories of guys teaching you stuff when you were a kid and then like just growing up watching your team win and you know watching I'm sure your father you know excel and see you know like experiencing that with him and and just like the clubhouse camaraderie I mean for me that's the stuff that that I look back on with every passing day like the things I did on the field get a little foggier but the the memories of teammates and 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 all that stay pretty clear oh yeah I mean that's that's what it's about is the memories of being on those long bus rides, you know, the times in a locker room, like that's what you like truly cherish. And it's funny. That's what I truly miss from playing and being not that far removed. I don't know, three years now. Um, that's, that's the stuff you cannot replicate. Yeah. Bottom line. Yeah. You can't find a clubhouse too many places elsewhere in life. I know. I think one of my buddies is a firefighter. That's probably a pretty decent spot to find it, but um, it's definitely something that you lose, and I think we all we all tend to miss that. So after college, uh, you got drafted, and tell me about the transition to pro ball because it's a different game, and then we'll kind of get back into uh, amateur baseball after that, where you know we talk about your scouting. So again, like you've seen every aspect of the game. So mm-hmm. what was it like mm-hmm. going from a you know a, a I guess St. John's is to me they're like little more than a mid-major. I mean, how would you qualify them? I mean, they're like a big, like, well-known school, and they've been historically very good. I had a – do you remember a kid named Jared Yecker? Yeah, I know. I know Yecker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, that's fun. Yeah. Do you want to hear a good Jared Yecker story? It's This is, like, one of my favorite stories from all time. It was from summer baseball. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I was a sophomore in college i was playing summer baseball for a team called the silver spring tacoma thunderbolts is in the cal ripken senior collegiate league which is like a decent league centered around dc area and jared was a freshman so he was younger and like huge i mean he's like six five probably and like 240 he was like a really big kid and he's like 90 92 which back in 2000 2006 was like really hard like you didn't have that many guys on a summer team that threw that hard like consistently like 90 91 whatever and so we're playing at the towards the end of the season we're playing the bethesda big train this is like a this is a uh like the biggest team in the league they get like a thousand fans a game yeah i've been to that stadium yeah Yeah. shirley povich field Mm -hmm. so (laughs) in the first inning uh jared's jared's pitching and uh Guy hits, uh, no, I'm sorry. We were up in the first inning, you know, top of the first. And our third hitter, you know, we go in order the first two batters. And then our third hitter hits a soft line drive to second base. And the second baseman catches it and, like, holds it for the crowd because Bethesda had, like, clinched their division that that Mm -hmm. day. So they had, like, a little pregame ceremony. So this guy Mm -hmm. just, like, catches it, kind of holds it for the crowd. The crowd loves it. And our manager was, like, an old school, like, reached like almost reached the majors with the Yankees he was 
Uh, he is also a scout now, um, but like a really great uh, hard-nosed kind of baseball guy. <laughs> and um, so he looks in the dugout after we come back in, and he goes, I'm going to be really unhappy if that guy doesn't get hit by a pitch sometime today. And uh, <laughs> so the next inning, um, that kid comes up. And he makes the very unfortunate decision of squaring around to bunt. And oh, no. so, the fir- so the first pitch uh, just kind of whizzes up by his head. Nothing happens. He doesn't know what's happening. The second pitch, he squares around, and Jared absolutely just buries the ball right into his belly button, just buries it into his stomach, <laughs> like 92 right into the kid's stomach. And he just crumples into a heap, and down he goes. So he got up. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't injured, but... That was just a moment that I'll never forget and probably maybe shouldn't I don't know. It's 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 old and done with, but it was a a fair I think the baseball gods thought it was fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I played with a couple St. John's guys. I know Jared was one of them. Uh Bruce Kern was a teammate of mine over on the Long Island Ducks. Oh yeah, he's still playing. Yeah, he's in uh in Taiwan still. Uh-huh. But yeah, don't square, don't square around the butt if you're in no. trouble. If you're in trouble with the other team. But no. so anyway, uh, tell me about the transition to uh, to pro ball. Yeah, this is like, this is very. Uh, a, a, how should I say it? This is a big part of like. I I kind of had an aha moment in all of this. So. I get, at the end of my senior year, I. I fracture my handmaid I thought it was over I you know I you know whatever the draft comes and my dad's like hey just you know just try to keep yourself in shape you know you never know what happens somebody might give a guy like you a chance you know whatever I was like a like an org guy whatever so the draft comes and we're watching a we're down in South Jersey watching a high school game uh, my, my student hall prep where I went to high school was playing in the state championship they had won it you know, we're watching uh, another pitcher that's going to St. John's the next year pitch that day. But we're on the way home from that, and um, I get the phone call. You know, hey, you ready? Do you want to play? I said, he's like, I said, what do you think? You know, I'm all fired up. You know, I'm on the verge of tears. And sure enough, the Reds take me in the 36th round, and I'm, you know, it's probably the best day of my life. Um, you know, it's your childhood dream comes to fruition, and it's, it was special. So, you know, they gave me two a day, said, Hey, your flight's this day, I get out there. You know, that that first process is really chaotic and you don't know what to expect. They're doing physicals, doing this, they're doing that. And, you know, your head's in a whirlwind and then as a thirty six rounder you're you're not getting treated like, you know, the first rounder per se, you know, because those guys are invested a lot of money and so they gotta take care of those guys. So you're really trying to, you know, find your way. But two days, we're at the mini camp. Two days go by, and you know, finally get to play. And you know, I'm in this group of <laughs> hitters. These guys are hitting balls 500 feet. Like it seems that way. And I'm coming off an injury. I, I mean, I, I'm hitting the ball. You know, spraying line drives around. I'm with rehab like AAA, AA guys, Latin players that are that are blasting balls. So that moment in there, I knew like right then and there, it's like I I cannot swing like that. Like if I try to, if I, if I try to swing for the fences like that, I'll make a fool out of myself. So I gotta, I gotta 
be better at hitting line drives all over the field than everybody else. But it took me till that right then to realize, you know, that's the type of player I need to be because I don't compare to that. So that day we're playing, we're doing all that, we're we're taking IO, we're, and I'm like kind of upset, like because I mean, the thing I, I call my dad the next morning. I'm like, Dad, these guys they're faster than me, they're better than me, they're you know they're like, what am I doing? Like I, there was a big sense of doubt. And he said, you know, hang in there, bud. You know, there's a room for baseball players. Just hang in there and just watch. Sure enough, I hung in there, and that right then and there taught me that there's room for everybody. Just because somebody could do a, a, a raw task better doesn't mean they're any better than the player next to them. So yeah, I, what I, I learned right then – go ahead. No, I was just saying I, I think that's a, a big lesson that a lot of kids don't get a, a chance to – or they don't, they don't have that aha moment like you did. Yeah. So what it was is then I learned from all this that there's so much in this game that's going to be out of my control. So how can I be better than everyone else being good at what's in my control? And what was in my control was, you know, my routine, being a good teammate, walking to the plate with confidence, having a plan, swinging at a quality pitch, taking a quality swing at a quality pitch, and putting putting barrel on the ball. Outside of everything else, I couldn't really – I mean, that's all not out of my out of my control. So, I developed that kind of mantra, and it and it paid off for me because the the coaches like respected it, um, and it, it was just one of those things that the the pro game is the tools are a lot different than the college game. Not necessarily the play is a lot better at the early level, but the tools are louder. From that experience i learned that you know there's you can make up for all this by you know being better at the little things than everybody else and it 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 was that aha moment for ty blankmar to realize all this and the other thing is you know being around the coaches are you know a lot of times ex-big leaguers and stuff so what you realize there is they're they're very experience rich um so i mean you pick up on little things and from coaching to college and coaching in professional level, you get in college a lot of times you can get a magnitude of ways and pro balls you have how should I say like a slimmer way to do one thing. So they think it's not necessarily they think their way is the highway, but they have a they've done it, so they have a pretty good idea of how it's done. I think that's had to do with a lot of my transition to pro ball, but the one thing I, I tell you is these kids is like just because somebody can hit the ball farther than you, hit it throw harder than you, like there's there's ways to be able to make that up for yourself and you know you have to know who you are and that's what I learned and really rely on that and fall back on your process compared to everything else and the other thing that was different for me transitioning I didn't play for my dad anymore so every day we'd talk on the phone and his insights were great the pressure for me was less in pro ball than it was in college just because I wasn't it wasn't my father. It wasn't my dad wasn't at the helm anymore. It was the Cincinnati Reds and everybody was having the common goal of trying to get to the big leagues. So it was about developing and winning games for the Billings Mustangs at the time. Gotcha. So for me, the pressure backed off significantly in professional baseball 
And that, see, the thing about that, it's all perspective. But that my perspective had changed. Maybe I saw it a little bit clearer at the time. Your story about not trying to do it, all those other guys with, you know, tons mm-hmm. and tons of power, it reminds me of running. I was recounting, you know, the story of when I was a freshman. I remember the first day of conditioning. Like, you know, coaches run you to see, you know, who did the work and who's in shape and all that stuff. And my dad is a runner. And when I was growing up, anytime we would run, I never loved running. I also had asthma as a kid, so it was like kind of like would kill me. But mm-hmm, when I would mm-hmm. run, one of the things he would always impart on me was to pace yourself, which is a really hard thing to learn, especially when you're running against other people. So obviously, you know, starting this run, the whole team, you know, all 25 or 30 of us are on this line. Our coaches, you know, he's got his hand up in the air. He's ready to blow the whistle if we don't you know, finish in a good time. He's going to think we're lazy and we're off to a bad start for the year. Uh, and so all of us are like on this line, we're tense, we're, we're ready and nervous. And, uh, you just want, and everyone just want, everyone just wants to sprint off. And I wanted to sprint off. And then I like remembered, I'm like, no, this is a longer race than that. You can't just run your hardest in the first hundred meters. Like a lot of these guys are going to, cause what's going to happen. They're going to, you know, they're going to peel off, they're going to start fading, and they're going to end up going slower than if they pace themselves mm-hmm. from the beginning. And so I learned over time, like, I don't have to be the fastest one off the block. I can just start running my race from the beginning. And that, to me, just it just reminds me a lot of, like, what you said. Like, you weren't going to, like, let those guys change what you knew you could do, and you saw firsthand that you were going to run your own race and not take off and try to do what they were doing because that's not necessarily good for you. Yeah, and that's that's a great point right there, um, and that's that's what it's all about though. You, like knowing yourself, and that analogy is it's it's gold. It's it really is gold. So I mean, I pulled it from my it, gold. I have I have a couple of piles here on my desk. That was from the gold pile. So you know, <laughs> yeah. No, but, no, I mean, nothing but the best. Yeah, the the last thing I'd say is like I go to. I go to pro ball and my, my roommate is none other than Nick Senzel. So I'm like, I was like, I wanted to say to him, like, dude, you got the right room. I'm, you know, they just took you in the second pick overall and I'm the 36 rounder, you know, like they're putting me and you together. (laughs) But I mean, he, he ended up being a great kid and like teaching me a lot about the game and, you know, talk about, talk about being, having a good perspective. This kid just got, paid a lot of money to play baseball but he didn't see it like that so i mean I, I just from being around him for you know a month before he moved to a ball was was a cool experience as well so once you're done with your pro career uh mm-hmm. tell me about you know the transition out because that's hard for everyone because you grew up like i said in a clubhouse baseball was everything and then suddenly it was over so was scouting always a thing that was in your mind? Like, what were your options? What did you feel like was next for you when you're sort of out there on that raft, like trying to find your new direction? Yeah, scouting was something um, I had always thought about, but I never immersed myself in the thought of it. So when I got released, they basically said to me, he's like, hey, Ty, the Reds said, I want to keep you around. Like we, we like you, you know, everybody in the org, you know, has, you have a good relationship with people, you know, like, so basically when I got released, they retained me and I was 
essentially a coach in the AZL. I was a coaching rookie ball. I was coaching kids that I was at extended spring training with, essentially, as well as the new draft kids. And I did that for about two months. And that was – that's not something I really wanted to do because my – because, like, I, I wanted to play baseball. You know, like, that's one thing I wanted to do. But my dad said, hey, Ty, where do you think you're going with this? I said, Dad, I mean, I, I love this. I love I love playing. You know, this is what it's about. He said, so, yeah, but at the time they weren't, you know, be, to be a big leaguer as an infielder, you need to be invested in, and not necessarily money, but at-bats. And I, he didn't feel like I was getting that investment. So he's like, why don't you do this? Trust me on this, buddy. So I took the opportunity instead of going home that summer, I was in Arizona um, in the heat working with the Arizona Reds. And, you know, that was a unique experience because the head coach was Jose Nieves. The hitting coach was Lenny Harris. And I was just another coach on the staff just trying to learn from them. And they gave me um, some wiggle room to kind of pick up on stuff and teach and learn and, um, not to mention the coordinators that would come in like Miguel Cairo and Barry Larkin. And I, I was able to learn from them. So that summer it was hard to do because I was, my heart was still in playing the game, but it was, it made a lot of sense now looking back from the knowledge I, I gained. So to fast forward those two summers, that's what I did right after I played. I get a call in August and the Brewers called me and said, Hey, would you be interested in scouting? I said, yeah. Da, da, da. So long story short, I interviewed and, you know, the interview was not difficult for me because I was just talking baseball the whole time, kind of like me and you are talking baseball right now. So <laughs> I, I wasn't, like, really nervous. You know, I, I was, you know, 23 years old, 24, whatever it was at the time. And I, I, I've been talking baseball with my dad since I was, you know, 10 years old on car rides home from game. So it was easy for me to kind of do that. I guess they were enamored enough for me to, to give a young guy a shot. It was unique to say the least, to get going. And like we mentioned, Zach Clark. Zach Clark was, the you know, kind of the first kind of guy to kind of, you know, talk to me about it all and through his experience to kind of take me under his wing in it per se. So that's kind of how I got into it. I mean, I had I had no scouting experience other than being around the game and going to recruiting events with my dad, which actually probably is the most tangible scouting experience you could possibly have. But, it, yeah, that's that's kind of how I segued into all of this. So you're scouting amateurs now, and you have New Jersey all the way up to Maine, correct? Yep. So is there like a, I mean, I'm sure it's one of those jobs where they expect, obviously they expect you come in with a lot of knowledge of the game and a lot of, you know, as a player, you can evaluate talent. Like we do it every day, whether you're playing or coaching mm-hmm. or, or, or watching. But what's the uh, what's the big takeaways from your first year scouting because I know in conversations with Zach like he was just learning so much and I know you guys I'm sure we're bouncing tons of stuff off each other but it just seems like it's a it's probably hard to know what your club expects of you number one and then I think probably today more than any day in history it's probably harder to be a scout because there's so much data there's so many Mm -hmm. new ideas about analytics every team's using them in a different way um, and we won't really get into what the brewers are necessarily looking for, but how do you navigate writing a report that's, you know, kind of based on feel and like your impressions? Cause like you said, Joe panic, there's things you want to put on paper with a guy like him or with a, a guy like you, like this guy is a ball player. He can help you win games. He can do intangible things that don't necessarily 
show up on TrackMan, right? But mm-hmm. there's still value in that, I would assume. So how do you tell me about like what your process has become now as as an amateur scout? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is like as you were mentioning the first time I got into it, the the thing I I learned was like these guys travel a lot. <laughs> um, but that was from being at St. John's and looking at the same, working alongside the same scouts now, like that kind of perspective changed for me was, I didn't realize what, not, I, I had an idea of what they did, but the depth of what they were doing, you know, they were always kind of place to place seeing stuff like that. Um, as far as my process, everyone's is different for me. I'd try to never forget how hard this game is because I think a lot of times as scouts, the easy thing to do is like, this guy is not very good. You know, he's not going to be able, he's not going to have what it takes to play in the big leagues. And the odds are, if we take that mentality, we're going to be right more than we're wrong. The one thing I try to do is challenge myself is like, what do I see in this guy? Why, why do I like him? Kind of think of it that way, just because, you know, to get to the big leagues is hard enough. Yes, I'm still very stern with the player and what I see, but I try not to cross them off right away just based on, you know, the odds. The one thing I learned is being around the game is, like, you never know who could pitch in the big leagues. Zach Clark, point A. You know, like, Zach Clark was probably tougher than everybody else. I never saw Zach Clark pitch, but he be- there's to be a major leaguer like that, you have to have a high level of belief in yourself. And a lot of times, if we don't know these kids... We won't know that. And I think there's so much good information out there on, you know, track, man. All this stuff is great because we're able to get the pitch types and tools and makeup of stuff from a raw standpoint. We're, we're able to get the accuracy of that better. But what we don't aren't able to get is unless as scouts, and this is one thing I, this is the most passionate part of my job, is to get to know the kid, get to see their fibers, get, get into their fibers because that's what makes a difference. And I keep going back to Zach Clark because I, I talk about his story all the time. Is That story is incredible to me because if you, what I learned is if you come across a kid like that, that's a kid you want to give a shot. You know, if the ability is there, because at some point the abilities are all going to be somewhat in the same pool. So what separates everybody else is their belief in themselves, their fortitude, their willingness to, to get better, their love for the game. That's what the, That love for the game is going to take you take any given person higher than everybody else. So for me as a scout, those are some things I'm still looking at. And one thing that didn't, it makes sense to me now, a lot of times, and you could speak to this, is a lot of times uh, coaches will be, or scouts will be, hey, it's about being a, like, is this kid a good kid? It sees that. When people ask that to you, like, and you're on that amateur side and you're playing, you necessarily don't really understand that. And now I understand it more because being a good person, treating people right in this game, that's another way that to separate yourself. You know, nobody, like those 1% or 0.0.1% of guys like Mike Trout that are just way more talented than everybody else. But Mike Trout's also a good person, so he's not a good example. But what I'm saying is talent <laughs> can only take everybody so far. So you have that peak of people that are like Mike Trout that's a great person and a great talent that takes you so far. But for everybody else, there has to be a high level of being a good character person. And there are guys that aren't, but like it's, it's the character moral, morality argument, you know, just because you're a moral person doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're going to be a major league baseball player. 
But that high character person, that makes a difference to me. And that's what I look for. That's why I try to talk to these kids and get to know them, even if it's, you know, 20 minutes in a, in a meeting. Like anything I can get out of them, just, just so they can learn, you know, I can learn from them their love for the game. Because I really believe that's what separates people. Above all else, that is what separates people. Well, and it, it ends up being the reason that you're willing to suffer when things get hard, too. You know, when you're in a huge slump and you feel tons of pressure and you just don't know how to get out of it and you want to quit, because we all have those, and I have those, you know, it's it's that, like, no, this I can't just give up on this that easy. Like, this is mm-hmm. bigger than that. This, like, this was so much of my life. I'm doing that and it, it's got to be like for you, not for someone else. Like you weren't playing for, you know, because your T-ball coaches will be disappointed if you quit or whatever. Like there's so many external factors that people carry with them. But I, I know for me, I always played for myself. And it sounds like you always played because you loved it, not because you're, anyone else wanted you to, even though you grew up with a, a, a really great, you know, baseball father figure. Um, it doesn't sound like mm-hmm. you were forced into it at all. Like it was just both in, in both of your DNA. And so that like carries you through those hard times and like gives you the, it forces you to dig deeper rather than like look for ways out. Like you look for solutions rather than look for ways out. And for those of you listening who maybe haven't caught up on the podcast as much, Zach Clark was on the show twice. He and I were teammates. Uh, He is about the same size, I think technically maybe a quarter inch shorter than I am on paper, but Pretty ordinary size right-hander, senior sign, got a 1000 bucks, made it to the major leagues. After briefly making it to the major leagues, was asked to convert into a knuckleballer, and he said, all right, let's do it, and uh, took a really interesting turn for the the remaining uh, years of his career. But like a guy who's just extremely well-liked, a great clubhouse guy, someone who, as a young player, like he's someone you want to emulate, someone who got more out of his career because... He was such a good teammate, such a good, respectable, like professional. So I'll put links in the description here on on YouTube or in podcast land. I'll I'll put those in there. So if you want to click through and listen to his uh, one of his past episodes where I share his story or he shares his story, I'll uh, definitely put that in there for you. So you have a little more context. But so it sounds like you dig deeper, looking for the intangible stuff that ultimately, when you know, and it seems like you know full well that there's a funnel, and when all guys become relatively equal physically you want to say as a scout that you found some guys that you knew were going to put in maybe that extra work or grit through tough times and like find ways to to make it yes and that is and with that being said i mean there's still a level of talent they need to they need to have but like i said there comes a point and that talent is talent isn't everything when when everybody's talented if that makes sense so there comes a point where you know you talk to these big leaguers like they're mentally stronger than in their abilities than most people. You know, for whatever reason, everybody gets there differently. But that's one. That's the common theme I, I do notice. So for young kids listening and parents and coaches, uh, I mean, you've been through the game in so many different angles. Uh, you've you know played, you've coached, you've scouted. Give some parents and 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 players a couple actionable things that they might do now that like you're a scout there's a hey ty you know here i am what what universal tips would you give a couple of players or parents to help them along their journey and maybe 
give themselves a little bit better chance to make it to the next level, whether that's college or professional baseball? The biggest thing is, I'd say is to do it for the love of what you're doing and know why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and it's a, and the, to go back, this is a game. I mean, Oh, for four, four, for four. I think the big thing is like sometimes if, you know, kids aren't succeeding and whatever, I think a lot of times we have to change the meaning of success for baseball. And I think a lot of times we don't know the meaning of success, you know, because we're looking to get three hits. We're trying to get three hits and one at bat. And I think to make success more attainable for these kids will make the game funner, more fun. Sorry. Um, so I think to be mindful of where the kid is at and their abilities um, is another big thing. To be able to to be honest with themselves and what they need to get better at, in the sense of yeah, little Johnny's weak right now, but you know, if he focuses on the right things, the right techniques, the right, he'll be fine. So I think with all of this, this progression of baseball. I think success needs to be treated like a development tool. How's that? A development yeah. in in the game. Like car rides home shouldn't be bad with their parents. It should be always, you know, how did why did I have so much fun today? You know, and it, it's just it goes back to the club baseball thing is, you know, these kids play so much that, you know, it's and and the competing is less that it it all dwells back on themselves because the win or loss doesn't necessarily matter. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it's a cultural kind of situation nowadays where Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone knows what they're looking to accomplish sometimes on the field. Like, were we just trying to get better? Were we trying to win? Did this? Are we trying to win, but this game didn't matter? Like, what games do matter? Do tournaments? Like, it, it's hard to know as a coach. Like, I, I did this last year. It's like, do I need to care about winning here, or can I care about mm-hmm. getting kids reps, or like putting them in situations that help them develop? It's, yeah. it's sometimes ambiguous. So I think that's an important distinction for parents to understand that on the car ride home, it needs to be a focus on you know just caring about your your son and and reminding them that it's supposed to be fun and they should have enjoyed their day at the ballpark or at practice or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's what it's about at the end, at the end of all of this. I mean, these kids won't remember their three for threes in five years, but you know, they remember the fun they had. And that's, it's, there should be a, a fun initiative to, to amateur baseball. Yeah. And I think if there's anything I've kind of taken away from, from you today, it's that, like you really love the game and it seems like you've grown up, up up in it and you've always enjoyed yourself doing it. And that seems to be like an overwhelming, um, mm-hmm. obvious thing just in the way you talk about baseball, even from all your different perspectives on it. Baseball was, was and is and will continue to be a fun thing that you just got out of bed to do, whether it's scouting mm-hmm. or coaching or, or playing. Yes, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all, it's all, it's all about the people and that's the cool thing about baseball you know it's people they make the game the game is something that we all have in common it's a special bond because the game is it's such a special game you know there's can't run the clock out you know there's like they say there's there's beauty in baseball and that's you know there's no truer thing than that in a biased way but there is beauty in baseball so Ty how uh how can listeners follow up with you uh with you you Twitter, any other social media that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, I'm on Instagram at tyblank0. Shoot me a follow. Get slide slide in the DMs, whatever it might be. And I'm also <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I think it's it's tayblanks1 on on Twitter and tyblank0 on Instagram. Yeah, and that's um that's what I got. That's the, probably the best way to reach out to me okay awesome and i'll put links on that on the uh on the screen here on youtube and i will also put links in both the show descriptions so if you're interested in following ty follow up with him and and kind of be part of his journey through scouting and message you out there so ty thanks for being on the show i thought you had a lot of really good wisdom to share i mean especially from guys who aren't the most physically talented and i'm also one of those people you learn more from them because they had to internalize their game they had to find ways to get better they had to find ways to win and to maximize their ability so i was pretty certain I was going to get a bunch of that from you today. And, and we definitely did because I think for a lot of the, the smaller players out there or for guys that haven't, or maybe are late bloomers, I think there's a lot they can take from you and your story and, and some of the, uh, some of the, the tips that you gave and some of the stories that you shared just in how you became the best version of you and tried mm-hmm. not to let external factors change you along the way. No, I appreciate that. But I mean, the bottom line is anything you do in life and especially this game, because the baseball gods know you do it for the love of it that's at the end of the day that's that's what makes it fun that's what makes it enjoyable is doing it because you love it and that's what it's about do it for the love all right well ty thanks again and uh, i'm sure we'll talk soon yeah thanks dan all right so that wraps it up for this week i want to thank again my guest ty blankmeyer really awesome talk there's tons of stuff to take away from that especially the lessons learned as a guy who wasn't the most physically gifted on the field ty's not a huge guy he's more of a second baseman type and he learned full well that he had to stay within himself to be successful and i think that message really shone through in our talk today so just a reminder this show and everything else grows through sharing through hitting the like button through leaving a review so if you feel compelled today to do any of those things, I'd greatly appreciate it. Any links, so to the other podcasts we alluded to today, as well as my book, some of my free resources, my email newsletter, all those links can be found in the description, both in podcast land and on YouTube. Thanks again, and we'll see you here next week on Dear Baseball Gods.